you're tuned into Toby Talks, episode 21, from bedside to lung transplant coordinator. Sometimes in nursing, we can get really compartmentalized in our areas. And I have to remember that it takes a hospital to take care of one patient. Every single angle of the hospital, every person is a key player. And that even comes to coordination of care. I had no idea that transplant patients also have a coordinator who follow them throughout their whole life. And this episode actually resonates with me a lot because I knew of someone who had a transplant, but I had no idea what the whole case entailed. I had no idea that your care doesn't stop once you receive a transplant, but it continues until your end of life. I had the awesome opportunity of interviewing Latasha, who is a lung transplant coordinator, and she shares with me all the details of what it's like being in that role, how she was able to get into this role, how much the role pays, but really the impact she's bringing to families as a coordinator. You guys, I'm really excited about this interview, and it's so heartwarming because it really hits home for me, and it really opens my eyes to see the different dynamics nurses play in the hospital setting. So before I get all up in my feelings, let me go ahead and hop into this conversation. Girl, let's go ahead and hop into this. Tell me, how did you get into nursing and where are you now? Okay, so I got into nursing probably because of my mom. So my mom's a nurse and so is my grandmother. She's a nurse as well. So that's all I knew. So I didn't really have, I mean, they didn't pressure me, but I feel like I really didn't have an option. Like nursing was what I was going to do regardless. Um, (laughs) So I went to SFA and um, got into nursing school and then I graduated um, from SFA in 2011 and then in 2015 I graduated with my master's from Preview and so right now I'm in a lung transplant coordinator position at Methodist Hospital in the medical center in Houston. Oh wow so when you um, shout out to SFA by the way I swear I started my first journey so (laughs) So when you went, you said you went to Prayer View for your master's? Yes. Tell me about your master's and how you actually acquired your master's at, at Prayer View and what made you want to go, go back and get your master's. Um, so it actually started at SFA in my last semester of clinicals. One of my instructors kind of told me to look around the floor and to look at the nurses and like the older nurses. And I was like, okay, well, you know, they, they look older. And she was like, but how do they really look? And I started laughing and she was like, no, give me your honest opinion. I said, well, they kind of look tired. And she was just like, well, exactly. You can't spend your whole life at the bedside. Mm. Like you have to move around. So I had another mentor who was actually like a director at Nacogdoches Medical Center at the time. And I was like, oh man, I love her position. That's something I can do. So I kind of always had it in my mind to be some sort of um, like administrator of some sort. That's why I went to PV to do nursing administration. Wow. So you pretty much was, before you even got out of nursing school, you were kind of told that, hey, if you don't want to do this for a long time, you start thinking about your master's program, correct? Right. Yeah. So it was kind of on the forefront. Like I knew I wasn't going to jump into it immediately. Like I was the youngest person in my class with my master's, like no manager experience or anything. You literally the one youngest one in there. And they're kinda like, Are you sure this is what you want to do? And I was like, Absolutely. I don't want to do it necessarily now, but I want to get it out the way so when I'm ready I can already have it and I don't have to worry about going back to school for it. So that was kind of my thought process. 
Wow. So it kind of was like you were kind of just thrown into getting your master's already. You didn't really know if this position that you're working in now could have been something you could do with your um, BSN degree. Is that currently, did you get this role as a, um, as a coordinator for transplant already when you were, you know, before you had your bachelor's degree or is it because of your master's degree is why you were able to get this opportunity? No. So the position is offered to BSN nurses. So me just having my master's was just something extra. They really didn't help me get the position, although they do, um, they have different levels. So they have like coordinator one, coordinator two, and senior coordinator. And right now they're trying to switch the senior coordinator position to have masters only. So it kind of worked out in my favor because that's one of the, um, like one of the goals I aspire to in the upcoming like year or two. So that helped me out already. So I'm like, oh, well, I don't even have to worry about that because I already have it. So for the initial like entry position, you don't, you know, you don't need it. But to, I guess, climb up the ladder, you will need it. You will need it. But for the entry position as a um, a transplant coordinator, you didn't really need that. So before we hop into, no. thanks, before we hop into actually um, going into full discussion about the nursing coordinator role, how long did you spend at the bedside before you actually transitioned to the nurse coordinator role? Um, so before, so I only actually been into this role for about like a year and a half now. So I was at the bedside really for, I guess, like, I don't know I've been a nurse, like seven years now. So like the five, like the five years. So initially I started, I couldn't get a job back at home, which is in Houston. So I started off in Lufkin and I was like on a um, med surge, surgical floor. I was only there for like six months. And then um, I fell into transplant, which was on per- not on purpose, it was actually on accident because I wanted to get into like a children's hospital. Um, I ended up going to Herman and I thought it was um, the children's hospital. They had a heart transplant unit. I thought it was with kids. So, of course, when I get to the interview, they're like, oh, it's a dog. I was just like, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> but um, anyway, I stayed in it. I wanted to go. I wanted to be back at home. So that's how I fell into transplants. And I actually trans- transferred over to Methodist. And it was like a multi-organ transplant. But even still, like, I always wanted to do the NICU. Like, I felt that, like, in my heart more. Well, kind of. Because at first, in nurses, I didn't want to deal with kids at all until... I was actually in the NICU um, clinicals. And then that's what I was like, oh, wow, I really like NICU. So I ended up getting into NICU. So I'm actually still doing that, like, on the side. I have, like, two jobs. So I do that, like, on the weekend still. And then um, because my daughter is um, about to get to school age, Mm -hmm. I really wanted to have, like, a Monday through Friday so I can actually be at home, pick her up, and do all that stuff. Because, you know, bedside nursing, I work night shifts. Like, your days are backwards. You miss a lot of stuff. So I was like, I need something a little more... Um, normal <laughs> girl so I, love I, kinda, I love that into it. yeah <laughs> That is the truth of why we do um, talk about all these various positions because, you know, the 12-hour shift that was popping when we were fresh out of college, you know, ain't like that anymore when you have a family, when you have kids, when you have other things that you want to do during the day. Wow. So you did bedside for a while. You fell into the transplant role. Now you are a nurse coordinator for the transplant um, position. So tell me more about that position. What is your everyday life like, like starting from like your hours to what you actually do? Okay. So they tell you on paper that you work (laughs) Monday through Friday, you know, eight to five. Um, That's not really true because sometimes you come early, sometimes you leave like super late. So as a coordinator, I'm with post-mortem patients. So I'm dealing with the patients who just recently got transplanted or their older lung transplants. And transplant patients or lung transplant patients, 
they generally have like a life expectancy after the transplant of like three to five years. So, and that's what they tell them to begin with. Of course, some people, like I have some patients that are like 12 years out, but you know, you do have those patients who are only after a year, they pass away because of graft dysfunction. So basically in my role, I get a certain number of patients. Like right now, I think I have like 65. It sounds like a lot, but it's okay. Like 65 (laughs) patients. And um, I basically like manage for the most part their care. So they get, um, if they're new, they have to get labs done weekly um, or like twice a week or every other week or once a month. So I basically kind of monitor their labs, review those results with the physician, any like chest x-rays. If they're sick, they're calling me. If they want to go out of town, they're calling me. Um, And then I just review all that with the physician. So for the most part, like, Three days out the week, I have, I'm have i in my desk, and I'm kind of talking to them over the phone, like triaging. And then two days out the week, I'm actually in clinic. So that's when they will actually come. They have to do all their tests, and they'll be seen with the physician. Um, and then we also have on call. So not only do, you know, you have your Monday through Friday, there's some evenings where I have to be on call or, like, on the weekend where you have to be on call if there's some emergent transplant issue. So in your role, is it just coordinating the care of the patient holistically with their transplant needs? Or is it after their transplant, you're following them until a certain period? Or how is that um, in a way? Kind of explain that to me. So um, there's different protocols. So depending on how far out they are, they have to see us so many times. So we manage that part, but um, we manage them basically for life like they stay with me until they pass away or until they decide to you know if they want to move and they want to switch centers transplant centers but it's a lifelong thing so you really get um close with the patient and you know you really become their family because they're trusting you you know they're you know so initially of course it's like medical like i'm very straight to the point like i have to ask questions about you know like their medications make sure they're taking stuff their anti-rejection medicines, right? But at the same time, you get to learn them and like their family. So if you get a really like nice, like a tight, close bond with them. So it's kind of hard, you know, if they decide to leave or if they pass away, because it's kind of almost like, you know, one of your family members passing away because you, if you've known them for so long. Wow. So you're really vested in a lot of your patients. I mean, for you to know a patient all the way, like their whole life, pretty much their whole life when they get their transplant and then after, and that's a lot. So how do you deal with um, some of the patients that you might lose since you are kind of very close to them like family? How do you deal with that kind of um, kind of events? Well, some, I guess, honestly, I know that it's a part of life. So sometimes it, you know, it's kind of like a, oh man, that's, you know, that's really sad, like, you know, kind of moment, but um, you, you don't want to admit that you have patients that are like more special to you or your favorite patient. So when I, you know, one of those favorite patients passed away or maybe someone that I knew a little longer, it is tough because I mean, you do get emotionally invested. Um, but then you kind of have to realize too that, you know, God gave them another, another opportunity you know, to extend their life. So if it wasn't for this transplant, you know, someone else passing away to give them this lung, you know, they probably wouldn't have experienced this one year plus or, you know, five years plus with their family. So I, more so I'm more thankful that they had that opportunity to, you know, live a little longer because their life probably could have been cut short if they never got the transplant. Wow. 
That is so true. I just never even thought of it in that kind of mannerism. So that's that's crazy. And I'm just so impressed by what you do. So when you were considering taking this role and you were leaving the bedside, did you have any apprehensions about leaving or did you have any fear about taking on this role, which is almost really heavy emotionally, but also, you know, lifelong with the with the attachments you have with these patients? What kind of apprehensions or fear did you have leaving bedside and going into this role? Well, um, initially I was kind of like, okay, I guess it's kind of like, <laughs> I'm laughing because it's almost like a little insecurity. So you want to be like, am I smart enough for this role? Like these patients are really looking at me for everything. Like, do I actually know what I'm talking about? <laughs> to guys yeah. people and I have them like go astray. So I kind of had to like recheck myself. Like, okay, Sasha, you're smart. You know this stuff. Like, and if you don't know, tell them, I don't know, you know, ask the physician, whatever they're, you know, that's what they're there for. Um, so that was kind of like one of my, like, okay, am I ready for this? Also, I would say, I feel like I didn't want to lose my nursing skills. Like, you mm. know, some people get so far removed from the bedside that you forget, like, oh, I forgot how to start an IV or, oh, I forgot how to do this. And then when that situation comes up, you're like freaking out because you don't know what to do. And they're like, aren't you a nurse? So that was kind of one of my, like, my fears too. But this job does actually help me still keep some of my, um, most of my skills up. I wouldn't say we don't we don't start IVs and all this stuff, but we still do a lot of random stuff that will help, you know, that'll help me. And then that's probably another reason too why I kept my I have a PRN job at the bedside because I still kind of want to, you know, keep up with that and like you know make sure I still have my skills because you know I don't know what can happen if I would ever have to transition back or if I mean no telling like if I get like a manager director position like I still want to be able to help my staff on the floor so mm. I kind of kept the other job on the side just to make sure I'm still kind of up to par with my skills it's funny that you say that I think that's a lot of um a lot of apprehensions when leaving the bedside is that we put so much emphasis on our skills oh we're going to lose these skills we're going to lose these skills which to me this is just my perception I feel like there's such technical skills that we do like starting an IV or inserting a catheter and it's like a small little prep class or training it's almost like when you learn how to ride a bike and you haven't ridden in a long time and then you finally get on you kind of get the groove of it and then you can go so I don't really feel like we lose those skills right. but another thing is I feel like we put so much emphasis on those skills that we neglect the other skills of our critical thinking, our coordination, everything else that like right. you know, things mm-hmm. that we have to do when we're away from bedside. Those are also very important skills that you kind of lose when you're at the bedside, just doing, you know, patient care, patient care, patient care. You don't have to think of the big picture. You don't have to think holistically and, you know, coordinate their care outside of the hospital because you're only focused on the technical skills of the bedside. So that's just my mm-hmm. forte on it. I feel like every position has its own um, highlights of nursing schools that we never really just lose our skills in general. But um, the hands-on one is what I definitely hear a lot of people saying when they kind of get, um, mm-hmm. what's the word? When they kind of get anxious about leaving the bedside, it's about those skills that they feel like they're going right. to And I like how you threw it in there that, you know, for you not to lose those skills, you do still do a PRN job just to kind of keep you up and keep you up to date on those skills. So I love that you highlighted that because that's very, very true. So in this role that you're currently doing now, when you first started, did you have any kind of training? You know, like sometimes when you're... when you're going into another unit or going into ICU, they have like intense training for a couple of months or a couple of weeks. Did you have to have training for this role or how did you prepare for this role? Right. So, yeah, so I definitely, we had, um, I was definitely doing the orientation. It was probably like 
maybe like six weeks. It may have supposed to have been longer, but I kind of caught on pretty fast. I was okay with going and messing up and like asking for help. <laughs> um, but uh, we definitely, I definitely had a preceptor and so it's a little different. So I had to get used to that too, because first of all, I wasn't used to working days, you know, Monday through Friday is like day shifts. I was just, mm-hmm. in, you know, up at night. So I had to get like over that struggle of waking up and then realizing that I had to be at work every day. I was like, I'm not used to this. I'm used to <laughs> working today, working tomorrow, being off for like four days. So that was kind of a struggle within itself. But um, yeah, so my preceptor, we basically went over a lot of protocols because we have to put in like a lot of, um, I had to learn the computer. They have Epic. I wasn't um, familiar with it really at the time. Um, we had to do like a lot of orders, like different protocols and how to chart this and how to call a patient and chart that and how to pull results and how to, it was a lot of like little detail stuff that, like you said, I guess when you're on the, the other end, like on the bedside, you don't really pay attention because I don't, need to know how to put an order in. I don't need to know who to call for certain tests or how to get certain results. So it was a lot of that type of stuff. And then slowly they gave me some of my, like, we split it up by alpha. So they gave me probably like 15 patients at first to see if I can manage that. And then once I was okay with that, they started adding more until I got my full load. Oh, wow. So it was a gradual process. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good that they were even provide you. I mean, that's a whole nother world compared to the bedside. So it's good to know that they prepared you with some kind of changes. So in this current role, what were some of your benefits? Like the schedule, obviously having a a schedule where you can be able to take your child to school and Monday through Friday. And it sounds like there's a career advancement as well on top of you having your master. But what about salary? Was there an increase in your salary going from bedside to um, now in this clinical role where you're doing Monday through Friday and feel free to share digits. And if you don't, it's okay. But um, this kind of want to hear about that. Like, did your salary improve or did you have to have a cutback a little bit? So, no, I definitely didn't get a cutback at all. Like, (laughs) I worked a lot on the bedside. So I felt like I was almost like stressing out more about money. So um, I don't know what my, I can't even think what my salary was when I was bedside. It's never really consistent either when you're at bedside because you're doing overtime. You're yeah, trying to, so like, no one really, really. Yeah, I had like bonuses. So, yeah, so I'm really like, I don't know what it was, but, um, but now I'm like making like in the upper 80s. So that's definitely a proven. And then also we have call days. So I get more than that. So um, it's I'm like, I'm doing well. So I'm like, I'm not really complaining at all. And also as, if I am, when I advance in these certain coordinator positions, that comes with more money. So I, I believe like the senior coordinators make well over 90000 probably like almost a hundred, like they wake way up there. So I'm kind of like, I have my eyes like, okay, cool. Like I can just get past this first part, move on to like coordinator two, then I can, you know, go up in advance. Wow. Um, so it definitely um, helped uh, financially. And also, yeah, the schedule Monday through Friday, you know, you're off on holiday. So that's, that's awesome because, you know, usually you have to be, okay, what holiday do I want to pick that I have to yeah. work on? Which one am I willing to sacrifice? And you can actually, you know, be off from that. So, you know, that's good. I mean, it has this, you know, its perks and its, you know, downfalls. But nonetheless, yeah, the pay was definitely um, more consistent and then able to be off on weekends and like holidays. That's also like a big plus. That's really good. Like I, I'm so glad you're sharing that because a lot of people have this, um, 
this notion that the mo- you can make the most at the bedside. And, you know, if you get away from bedside, then you're not making that much anymore. And it's like, that's not true. Like you want best, you want best of both worlds, you know, where you can have a good pay and still enjoy your nights or your weekends or your holidays. Because I think that was the one thing I hated. Like every year I got to figure out, do I want to give up Christmas or Thanksgiving? Do I want to give up uh, Memorial Day? Or right. it was really annoying. I was like, no, I want to enjoy all my holidays with my friends and family. So I like how you said that your role also has challenges. So do you mind talking about some of the challenges you do face as a nurse coordinator for the um, transplant? Yeah, so definitely um, one of the probably biggest challenges is your patients. Because <laughs> they're people just like you. And sometimes I, you know, like I said, I'm a post coordinator. On the pre side, they're saying yes to everything because they want to live. So they're, you know, you're telling them like, oh, you're going to have to get labs done weekly. I'm going to have to see you every month. Your coordinator is going to call you twice a week. You have to do this, 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 and this. And they're like, oh, yes, I'll do everything. And then they get transplanted and they come to me and I'm like, okay, I need you to go get labs on Tuesday. And then I need you also to follow up on Thursday. And by the way, you know, a lot of the medicine is really expensive. So we have issues with that. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like, you're asking too much of me. Like, when can I breathe? When can I just sit down? And I'm like, what do you mean? This is go time. So, um, the initial stages when they, when I get fresh transplant patients, that can be very challenging and very difficult because they don't understand. Sometimes they just want to, you know, they feel like they got the lungs and they can just run free. And in a, in a sense you can, but it's so critical that first year of life because they can die easily. Mm-hmm. If the med dosing is off, if their range is off, like if they go into a crowd and someone has some, a regular cold or regular flu can be fine for me and you, but for a transplant patient, they can die from that. So, you know, I don't want to scare my patients like, hey, I really need you to wear your mask, like your white blood cell count is low. I really need you to do this. And they do the opposite. And I'm like, why are you sick? And they're like, oh, Tasha, I'm so sorry. Like I did. Okay. We, we did this before. So that part is, is challenging. So you really have to learn how to speak to people and be firm, but also kind of, you know, do it with love. Cause you don't, you know, I don't want them to be like, I hate my coordinator. She sucks. Like she's so mean. Yeah. You know, I want them to like love me. I want them to understand that like, I'm talking to you this way or I'm trying to get this through to you because I want you to survive. So that, that's a challenging aspect. Also the physicians mm. <laughs> there. Mm. I mean, I think that's almost in like any nursing role yes. because you know, you feel like you have your own authority and they feel like, you know, I'm a physician. So it's, it's kind of hard, especially when I was new, they didn't know me. So they didn't know what, what background I came from. They didn't know like how well I handled situations. So you have to gain like that trust so they can be like, oh, okay, Tasha, she's fine. I know if this patient starts, you know, showing signs of rejection that she's going to catch it early and it won't be something that's caught late. And then they're all looking like, what happened? How, how do we miss this? Um, so it's challenging with them too. And then also, like, since I've been here, we had some physicians leave and some new physicians come. So that's hard, too. So you have to, every every physician has their own thought on how to handle transplant patients mm. or their protocols or what they, how they would treat certain things. So it's kind of like you have to learn what that physician would do. And then you have to, it's almost like you have to be a mind reader and, like, don't mess up. Like, okay, let me try to think what this physician would say to this patient. You know, and some give you more leeway to do stuff without them. And someone wants you to, you know, show them everything and basically, you know, kind of micromanage. So that's hard. So I would definitely say the physician, working with a physician can be kind of tough. And then obviously working with patients and all the different personalities is definitely traveling. Wow. So 
what is your outlook been now that you're in this role as a coordinator versus when you're in a bedside as a nurse? What were some of your your views on either or now that you've been on both sides? What are some of the differences that you see um, now that you're on the outside being away from the bedside? Not as much. Um, so I can do both. So with the patients, you know, you have them for those few days and they go home. And I remember sometimes complaining like, oh, my God, so-and-so was so annoying because they would just kept asking for this, asking for that or whatever. Yeah. Or I could be like, oh, they're so sweet. Like, I wish they'll stay. Um, so it's different now being on the other side because I have to talk to them all the time. So it's like you can't be like, oh, let me get a break from so-and-so. Like, there is no break. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> And if, if you do get a break, then you feel bad because they probably passed away. So it's kind of like, ah, like, you know, <laughs> so I really felt like wow. I kind of like did some self discover like self discovery and like tolerance because you know not everybody you're gonna like you're not gonna you know be friends with everybody you're not gonna have the best relationship with all your patients but you still have to be professional you still have to get your your thoughts across so I definitely learned like better communication skills um, from that and then as far as the physician goes on the floor I really didn't have that much contact with them you know hit or miss sometimes you call the physician on call at night because an order wasn't in for something or you get a new admin but it wasn't or admission but it wasn't really um personal so now on the other side like i see there's you know some of them some physicians are more um interactive than others but you still see like their human side like i see them like when they have to when we're short and they have to round in two different places and they're running the clinic trying to do Bronx and all this stuff. And you can see that they're tired and we're like, Hey, do you want them to eat? Like, I, you know, you see the human side of you realize like, dang, okay, they are a doctor, but they're still like a regular man, you know, mm-hmm. a husband, a father. So they want to get out, you know, at five, like we do. And I don't want to call them because I know they don't want to answer because I know they're tired. So I see the other side. So it kind of makes you feel a little more compassionate towards them. And maybe that's why he popped off his mouth because he was up all night because we had a new transplant and he didn't get to sleep. And he has to be here at eight, just like us. So you kind of, that kind of helped, you know, helped me see them in a new light that way. Wow. That's such a good perspective. I think sometimes we miss that, you know? Um, I know when I first got into the administrator administration role, um, working as a, a QI coordinator and then going into different specialties and risk management and stuff, I used to thought it was so easy, like, boom, at the snap of a finger, like, we can get things done. They're always telling us on the floor that management's making this decision, this decision. No one is incorporating the nurses. And then I'm a nurse and I'm now in this role and I'm like, whoa, it is way more than I thought. It was not as easy as it looked or as it yeah. sat or as it seemed. Right. And, I love how you gave that perspective because we don't see that human side. Like you said, sometimes we'll call them on call. Sometimes they pop in, pop out. So we kind of don't see their perspective or, you know, be in their shoes. And then sometimes we as nurses are always complaining like, oh, the doctor's this, the doctor's that. But, you know, we lose that compassion sometimes when we're at the bedside because it's like boom, boom, Mm -hmm. boom, boom, boom. Or you have so many patients and everybody's just trying to do as much as they can. And it's like, let's take a moment and just acknowledge each other. Like we're all human and we're all just trying to help a patient out, but we still have our lives. We still have things that we're going on um, and going on with us and, and vice versa. So 
I really am awed by what you do. Like that is just, it seems like a lot. Like I could not imagine knowing a patient for their whole life because I feel like in my nursing career, I didn't have that opportunity. So with you having that kind of opportunity to do that in this kind of transplant role, um, with you having a really good schedule, it sounds like the salary is popping. What kind of advice would you give someone else who is interested in becoming a nurse coordinator for transplant? Like what what kind of steps would you advise them to do to kind of get into this kind of role? Because you already said entry levels, you only really need a BSN. So is there any, anything else that you would add to help someone get into this position that you're in now? Um, I do think one of the requirements is, I mean, of course, BSN, but I also think you have to have um, some sort of critical care experience. And I would only say that because you are for the most part, you're managing their labs on your own. So you kind of have to know what's critical, what's not. I mean, you know, you usually get like the arrow up and down if you forget. But still, like you kind of have to look for subtle things. Similar to like the patients in the ICU, like if they get septic, it's not always, you know, something drastic that's going to spark your attention. It's a little subtle stuff like, oh, his blood pressure dropped a little lower than it normally is. Or, oh, your temp is a little weird. Like, or you kind of have like a weird cough. Like it's, you kind of have to use your critical thinking skills. So I would definitely suggest, you know, dabbling in the ICU for a little bit or even just being like being exposed to a transplant floor just to see if that's something that you really want because then you can differentiate which organs that you want to work with. Like I knew with certain organs that I had, I didn't want no part of. Um, so and it's just personal Mm-hmm. personal reasoning but you know you can kind of get an idea of like which organ you think you will probably you know you want to actually deal with and some are, I feel like are more difficult to handle than the others like lung and heart and then some of them like kidney not saying it's an easier role but um they have longer life expectancy so you know they may not be as you may not have to deal with death so often with them mm. um wow Didn't I mean but that's probably what I, w- I would really probably yeah, because they, they live a long time. Like, mm-hmm. And so with them, I don't know, their protocols are different than ours. So I don't know if they, after a certain point, they don't have to be seen anymore. Because, I mean, they their patients live 10 plus years, like all the time. It's like all the time. So, um, you know, I'm not sure with them. But for like I said, for us, ours is only three to five. So kind of around that three-year mark or five-year mark, depending on how old the patient is, you kind of start to expect to see a, a, like a decline. And you know that, you know, it's not reversible mm-hmm. at some point. Um, but I really would probably suggest like the critical care experience or having some sort of exposure to um, transplant. That's so you can really you know, get the idea of it. Yeah, know? that's some really good advice. And out of curiosity, in your role, do you still wear scrubs or are you more of office clothing like in a, in a corporate sector? Like what kind of um, style do you have to bring to work? Um, yeah, so definitely, I think it's like mixed, like in clinic, usually I wear um, scrubs because it's like a clinic setting. And then on the days that I'm not in clinic, I usually wear like business casual clothing, whereas some of my coworkers, they wear scrubs all the time. But I was kind of like, man, I want a job where I don't have to wear scrubs every day. So I was kind of excited to wear regular clothes. I was too. So it's kind of, it's a mix in between. 
I was too until you're like, dang, I got to wear a lot of regular clothes. Like, uh, you always got to shop for like work. And then sometimes you just want to wear something that's free and loosey goosey and you can just throw it on and run out the door. I miss my scrub days. Like the only time I wear anything scrub like is literally a lab coat because I'm doing audits and clinics and stuff like that. But I miss the days where I could just throw on comfortable scrubs and just go on about my day. So I'm glad to know that this role allows you to do both you know, to kind of cross over to, you know, mm-hmm. scrubs and, you know, corporate like um, dress ups and stuff. Another question that kind of just popped into my head. Did you even know like roles like this existed when you were in nursing school? Because I know you said you went to SFA. I also did Absolutely. too. And I didn't. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely not. I did not know there was a such thing. I didn't know. I did not know. I had no idea. I didn't know about this role until I got to Methodist and I was on orientation on the transplant floor and I saw this guy in his white coat and he was in there talking to the patient. I thought he was actually like a physician or something. And I was like, oh, you know, he was introducing himself. I was like, oh, what are you doing? He was like, I'm a transplant coordinator. He was actually a kidney transplant coordinator. And I was like, really? And he was just like, yeah. He was like, you know, we manage their care outside of here, like all the outpatient stuff. And he told me that he actually had his master's in administration. And he, I guess he used to work at like um, Life Gift as a manager, but it wasn't what he wanted. So he ended up coming to Methodist and became a senior coordinator. He was like, yeah, you get, you know, you have lots of free time. You're off on holidays. He was like, you have to take calls sometimes, but it's not that big of a deal. He was like, he, you know, he was just talking about all like the highlights. And he was like, yeah, you have, you know, autonomy. And he was like, yeah, you should definitely look into it if you've been here for a while. So he pl- he was the first one actually that planted the seed because I was like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, wow. I, I didn't know at all. So, yeah, because I was like, I didn't. I mean, I guess it makes sense, though. Who does manage these people when they get out of the hospital? Exactly. But I never, never thought it was us. Exactly. I feel like that's the missing piece in nursing school. We get so focused on bedside, bedside, bedside that you forget the holistic piece of it. And yes, sometimes we touch a little bit on it. And what I mean a little bit, I mean a little bit in the community classes and stuff like that. Because, you know, they'll probably just make us do like a community project Mm -hmm. or a health fair or, you know, work at the um, homeless shelter or canned food drive. And I feel like there's so much more mm-hmm. to what nurses do than just that when it comes to community and other aspects. So I just wanted to know too, because I remember I did not hear about roles like this. And mm-hmm. if you knew about this role, would it would would you have been let me see how I want to word it. If you knew about this role ahead of time, would you have gone back for your masters or would you have taken your time before going back to school? Oh no, I still would have went back to school anyway. <laughs> Okay, Only because right. that's just one of my goals that I wanted to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was kind of like, it is what it is. Like, honestly, now, still, I want to go back to my doctorate, but I'm kind of more so, now I have a child, and I'm like, okay, I need to balance how I'm going to do school and work and have a kid this time. So I'm kind of like, you know, teeter-tottering. Plus, I don't want any more student loans, so I need somebody to pay for it. So that's why I'm kind of holding off on, like, the doctoral program. But, um, yeah, I was going to get my message anyway, and I really just wanted to do it because I knew life was going to happen. And I was like, if this be the last degree that I get, I want to get it out the way because I never know, you know, especially how, like, nursing is changing, how they're trying to change, like, you know, like the medical center to have all BSNs and yeah. it was kind of rumors that, you know, by 2020, they wanted, at Methodist at least, they wanted the managers and directors to have, or managers to have like their masters. And then so I'm like, okay, so if I aspire to be like a director or something, they're going to be looking at me like where your degrees at if that's what it's turning to. So that's what I was kind of like, let me go ahead and do it now. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'll just have it on the back burner and just be prepared for it later. 
Wow, that's that's very true. I mean, that's that's a lot of information. I think people sometimes aren't aware about that. A lot of um, hospitals are even pushing towards the magnet role where everyone needs to have their BSN and and higher mm-hmm. ups need to have a master's. Yeah. Because I know um, from travel nursing, I've met a couple of directors that literally only have their BSN and they're like directors of a unit and they didn't have to have their master's. It's just the experience and what they brought to the unit is what helped them get into that leadership role. But times are changing and it's mm-hmm. good that everyone knows that. Right. So, um, so Latasha, I definitely want to tell you so much how I appreciate you just shedding so much light on the topic today of a nurse coordinator, especially as a post-lung um, coordinator and what you do. And it just is so empowerful. And you're just, I just want to thank you so much for what you're doing for all the patients out there, especially those who are getting different transplants, especially in the lung area and how you're just being amazing as a coordinator. So before we end today's recording, would you love to share any kind of advice or any kind of upliftment or any kind of encouragement that um, anyone who's listening to this can definitely be inspired from hearing this? Um, I would definitely say that we as nurses, we make an impact. Sometimes we feel like that your voice doesn't matter or, you know, your parents, I mean, not your parents, your patients aren't mm-hmm. hearing you out or the physicians aren't hearing you out. But the patients, they know when they have a good nurse. And now sometimes, you know, most of the time it's not really because of, you know, you start their IV on the first try- on the first try. It's usually because of, like, your character. Um, so I would just, you know, say to everyone, just to make sure that, you know, that you always try to be that smiling face. You always try to connect them to your patients on a personal level. You know, if you have time, sit down. You know, just talk to them, you know, call them by their first name after you ask for permission, you know, but like really get to know them because no one wants to be in a hospital. No one wants to be sick. No one wants to be called a patient. So um, I would definitely just suggest like trying to connect on a on a dip, deeper level and really getting to know your patients so they can really get to know you and feel that human side. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. There were so many gems dropped. And if you want to reach me or hit me up, feel free to contact me through my email at tobytalks at tobytodge.com. Again, that's tobytalks at tobytodge.com. Feel free to follow me on Instagram or slide me a DM. That's at toby.talks. Again, IG, toby.talks. I also got Twitter like everybody else. So feel free to hit me up. And my Twitter is this is Toby Talks. I look forward to talking to you guys very soon. And remember, I'm rooting for you. So go out there and be great. Till next time. Talk to you later.